Pitt turned and scurried along the great tunnel. He reminded Pitt of a busy little rodent, his feet clattering along the wet bricks. Froggart followed behind them, his bowler hat jammed fiercely on his head, his galoshes squelching noisily. Around the corner they came quite suddenly upon the great river sluice gates, shut against the rising tide. There, the sewer man announced proprietarily, pointing to the white body that lay on its side as modestly as could be managed. It was completely naked on the dark stones at the side of the channel. Pitt was startled. No one had told him the body was without the ordinary decency of clothes, or that it was so young. The skin was flawless, no more than a fine down on the cheeks. The stomach was lean, the shoulders slight. Pitt knelt down, momentarily forgetting the slimy bricks. Lantern, Froggart, he demanded. Bring it over here, man. Hold it still. It was unfair to be angry with Froggart, but death, especially useless, pathetic death, always affected him this way. Pitt turned the body over gently. The boy couldn't have been more than fifteen or sixteen years old, his features still soft. His hair, though wet and streaked with filth, must have been fair and wavy, a little longer than most. By twenty he might have been handsome, when his face had had time to mature. Now he was pallid, a little swollen with water, and his pale eyes were open. But the dirt was only superficial. Underneath he was well cared for. There was none of the ingrained greyness of those who do not wash, whose clothes stay on from one month to another. He was slender, but it was only the lissomeness of youth, not the wasting of starvation. Pitt reached for one of the hands and examined it. Its softness wasn't due only to the flaccidity of death. The skin had no calluses, no blisters, no lines of grime such as the skin of a cobbler, a rag picker or a crossing sweeper would have. His nails were clean and well clipped. Surely he didn't come from the seething, grinding poverty of Bluegate Fields. But why no clothes? Pitt looked up at the sewer cleaner. Are the currents strong enough down here to rip off a man's clothes? he asked. If he was struggling, drowning... Doubt it? The cleaner shook his head. Maybe in the winter, lot of rains, but not now. Anyhow, not boots, never boots. He can't have been down here long, or rats have been at him. Seen a sweeper's lad eaten to the bone, I have, what slipped and drowned a couple of year ago. How long? He gave it some thought, allowing Pitt to savour the full delicacy of his expertise before he committed himself. Hours, he said at last. Depends where he fell in. Not more than hours, though. Current won't take off boots. Boots stay on. Pitt should have thought of that. Did you find any clothes? he asked, although he was not sure he could expect an honest reply. Each sewer man had his own stretch of channel, jealously guarded. It wasn't so much a job as a franchise. The reward lay in the pickings garnered under the gratings. Coins, sometimes a gold sovereign or two, the occasional piece of jewellery. Even clothes found a good market. There were women who spent 16 or 18 hours a day sitting in sweatshops unpicking and re-sewing old clothes. Froggart hopefully swung the lantern out over the water, but it revealed nothing but the dark, oily, unbroken surface. 
If the depths held anything, it was sunken out of sight. No, the sewerman answered indignantly. I ain't found nothing at all, or I would have said. And I searches the place regular. No boys working for you, Pitt pressed. No, this is mine. Nobody else comes here, and I ain't found nothing. Pitt stared at him, uncertain whether he dared believe him. Would the man's avarice outmatch his natural fear of the police if he withheld something? As well cared for a body as this might have been dressed in clothes that would fetch a fair price. I swear, God's oath, the sewerman protested, self-righteousness mixed with the beginnings of fear. Take his name, Pitt ordered Froggart tersely. If we find you've lied, I'll charge you with theft and obstructing the police in the investigation of a death. Understand me. Name? Froggart repeated with rising sharpness. Ebenezer Chubb. Is that with two B's? Froggart fished for his pencil and wrote carefully, balancing the lamp on the ledge. Yes, it is, but I swear's... All right. Pitt was satisfied. Now you'd better help us get this poor creature up and outside to the mortuary wagon. I suppose he drowned. He certainly looks like it. I don't see any marks of anything else, not even a bruise. But we'd better be sure. Wonder who he was, Froggart said dispassionately. His beat was in Bluegate Fields, and he was used to death. Every week he came across children dead of starvation, piled in alleys or doorways. Or he found the old dead of disease, the cold or alcohol poisoning. Suppose we'll never know now. He wrinkled his face. But I'm damned if I can think how he came to be down here, stark as a babe. He gave the sewerman a sour look. But I've got your name, my lad, and I'll know where to find you again, if as I should want to. When Pitt went home that evening to his warm house with its neat window boxes and scrubbed step, he didn't mention the matter. He had met his wife Charlotte when he had called at her parents' extremely comfortable, respectable home to investigate the Cater Street murders five years ago in 1881. He fell in love with her then, never believing a lady of such a house would consider him as more than a painful adjunct to the tragedy. Something to be born, with as much dignity as possible. Incredibly, she had learned to love him as well. And although her parents hardly found the match fortunate, they couldn't refuse a marriage desired by a daughter so willful and disastrously outspoken as Charlotte. The alternative to marriage was to remain at home in genteel idleness with her mother, or to engage in charitable works. Since then, she had taken an interest in several of his cases, often to her own considerable peril. Even when she'd been expecting Jemima, it hadn't deterred her from joining her sister Emily in meddling in the affair in Calendar Square. Now their second child, Daniel, was only a few months old, and even with the full-time help of the maid, Gracie, she had plenty to occupy her. There was no purpose in distressing Charlotte with the story of the dead youth found in the sewers below Bluegate Fields. When he came in, she was in the kitchen, bending over the table with the flat iron in her hand. He thought again how handsome she was, the strength in her face, the high cheekbones, and the richness of her hair. She smiled at him, and there was the comfort of friendship in her glance. He felt her warmth, as if in some secret way she knew not what he thought, but what he felt inside, 
as if she would understand anything he said, whether his words were fluent or not, easy or awkward. It was a sense of coming home. He forgot the boy and the sluice gates, the smell of the water. Instead, the quiet certainties washed over him, driving out the cold. He kissed Charlotte, then looked around at all the safe, familiar things. The scrubbed table, white with wear, the vase of late daisies, Jemima's playpen in the corner, the clean linen waiting to be mended, a small pile of coloured bricks he had painted as a toy, Jemima's favourite. Charlotte and he would eat and then sit by the old stove and talk of all kinds of things, memories of past pleasures or pains, new ideas struggling to find words, small incidents of the day. But by noon the next day, the body under Bluegate Fields was forced back to his mind sharply and unpleasantly. He was sitting in his untidy office, looking at the papers on his desk, trying to decipher his own notes, when a constable rapped on the door, and without waiting for an answer, came straight in. Police surgeon to see you, sir, says it's important. Ignoring any acknowledgement, he opened the door wider and ushered in a neat, solid man with a fine grey beard and a marvellous head of curling grey hair. Cutler, he announced himself smartly. Your pit. Been looking at your corpse from Bluegate Field sewers. Miserable business. Pitt put down his notes and stared at him. Indeed. He forced himself to be civil. Extremely unfortunate. I suppose he drowned. I saw no marks of any kind of violence. Or did he die naturally? He didn't believe that. For one thing, where were the clothes? What was he doing down there at all?